Welcome to BCC in 3 Talk, your decentralized hub for all things Web3. From blockchains to cryptocurrencies to NFTs, we airdrop knowledge and analysis from industry insiders, journalists, and founders. I'm your host, Jason Rowlett, a writer and editor at BCCN3.com. Now, let's get on with today's show. Hey everyone, welcome to BCC in 3 Talk. I'm Jason Rowlett, so glad to have you with us as always. You can subscribe to our newsletter at bccn3.com. Also follow us on Twitter at bccn3 underscore media. And you can also follow our page on LinkedIn. In this episode, I'm pleased to have with me David Rodman of the Rodman Law Group. He has been serving the blockchain and cryptocurrency space since 2016 and uh, representing various clients uh, in that space, and he joins us now. So thankful to uh, have you on, David. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Jason. Tell me a little bit about uh, your law firm and uh, kind of who you serve, uh, the, the space that you're in with in regards to blockchain and crypto, and uh, kind of what you do, what services your firm offers. Uh, yeah, so we're a uh, 12 attorney firm in Denver, Colorado. Um, my partner and I got started in cannabis law, actually. And in 2016, I started to represent, late 2016, I started to represent uh, <clears throat> projects in the Web3 blockchain space. Uh, and in 2020, the blockchain practice uh, started to eclipse the cannabis practice. I basically gave all of my clients in the cannabis space to my partner and uh, have been focusing on uh, the Web3 space, so almost solely, uh, capital markets as well. But uh, that's that's been our, our, our bread and butter. Um, we have clients in every vertical. We represent uh, a, uh, an L1, a founder of an L1. Um, we represent token projects throughout the space on multiple chains. We represent high net worth individuals, um, and uh, we are and and we basically and and funds. We actually have a bunch of uh, venture venture funds as clients, um, but everything kind of focusing on crypto and Web three. Excellent. Um, can you tell us about uh, maybe kind of uh, some of what you've seen recently with? Um... You know how how it's changed over over the last few years. You said since 2016. Have you noticed any uh, big changes in as far as uh, uh, not just who you represent, but uh, different different cases coming up as the technology changes so quickly? Uh, maybe some of these you know cases that you represent things are, are different than they were uh, five or eight years ago. Uh, <clears throat> well. So the the laws that are involved are all ancient, as in like the 1930s and the 1940s, for the most part. So they they haven't changed. Uh, the participants in the space have grown more savvy and uh, understanding of how regulatorily fraught their business endeavors are. So um, you know, I think starting from like late 2016, where it was kind of me banging on the door, being like, "Hey, you guys need to pay attention to this." It's sort of the, the, the knowledge has, has increased amongst founders and industry participants where they're sort of like banging at our doors, being like, hey, I know that we have some risk here. How do we uh, manage it? So like that's that's been a, uh, it hasn't gone far enough. I think that there's still a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, understanding that needs to be conveyed, but you can kind of see the similar um, 
trend with cannabis where you had people jump in early and like thought they could do it on their own. And by, you know, 2014, people realized that, you know, a lawyer was an essential part of their business, much more so than a regular retail store. Uh, so, you know, you take a regular SaaS company, uh, yeah, it's probably got a lawyer, but they probably don't talk to him too much. But if that SaaS company has a token component to it, like they better have a lawyer involved from day one and like vetting every decision because you can't just move fast and break stuff in uh, what is essentially a financial product. Uh, and th that's sort of, the, that's like the big mindset that we try to help our clients get over is uh, it's not software. It's, it's, it's software with finance baked directly into it. Yeah. It, you know, it's amazing how those laws are still on the books and uh, it, we still, I believe, run under the, uh, specifically the antitrust laws that were around when Rockefeller and Carnegie were, were around. And now we've, we're trying to, we've been applying them to, you know, Google and Facebook and these kinds of things. Now you've got Web3, like you say, we're running off of trying to apply 1930s law when FDR was president to, uh, you know, a Web3 business. Uh, I'm sure that's got to be challenging and uh, trying to get some sort of application together. Uh, can you tell us more about that? Trying to apply those laws to uh, a Web3 business seems extremely challenging. Yeah, I mean, so we're, what we're really talking about, we're talking about the Securities Act of 33, the Exchange Act of 34, and then with a lot of these DAOs, the Investment Companies Act of 1940. And um, the sort of, that's been an education uh, to work with our, our founders to explain that you know, you can't just go out and sell a token. You can't just uh, put a uh, investment DAO together and, and not properly structure it. <clears throat> um, so there are ways to do it in a, in a defensible manner, uh, but it's, uh, it's much more complex and, and, and um, expensive than, than they might expect. Uh, and, and then you get the common like, well, this project, this project, and this project are doing it. And it's like, well, I don't know who their lawyer is or if they've even talked to one, but from the outside, it would appear that they're violating this, this, and this. You should not do what they are doing. Here's a, a way that, you know, you can achieve roughly the same thing. Yeah, as far as, uh, is, is that the most common one as far as like seeing, you know, the difference between a token and a coin or an asset? and a, uh, a digital asset, a digital security. There's to be a lot of confusion in the market, just generally as, uh, as I follow the, uh, the market. Um, that seems to be the uh, problem that, that DAOs and, and uh, Web3 projects face. Is that what you would say? Um, <clears throat> I would make a distinction. DAOs tend to run afoul of a far scarier part of the securities uh, well, lot legal um, framework, and that's the Investment Companies Act of 1940, because a lot of DAOs have a, um, a venture kind of nature to them or some, some kind of value accumulative nature to them. Um, there are certainly DAOs that are like bread and butter service providers, like uh, Raid Guild, for example, uh, is a marketing DAO. <clears throat> but anything that has a uh, pooling of money together, that, that really starts to speak to um, the Investment uh, Investment Companies Act of 1940, and to a lesser extent, the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. You don't want to violate those. Uh, that's those are very scary. Uh, you know, m massive penalties. All your contracts can be invalidated. Um, just 
stay away. <laughs> uh, so that's like on the, the DAO side. And then I think what you were more asking though is, is uh, like actual token projects and securities law. And that's, that is where a lot of, um, there's a, the laws are very clear, but the, the, the practicality is a little bit gray. So, you know, different jurisdictions uh, that have different rules, you know, Singapore is one of the few that actually has a utility token designation. Um, and, and we get people who call the firm all the time and say, oh, I have a project that it has a utility token. It's like, well, are you an American? Well, yeah, I'm an American. Is your company American? Yeah, my company is American. Well, there's no such thing as a utility token under US law. So, you know, that, that method of analysis isn't going to work. Um, so walking people through the ways that they can launch a token is 50% of what we do. Uh, and then our, our model really <clears throat> is the U.S. doesn't have good laws, uh, doesn't have any kind of incentive to make good laws uh, and recognize this paradigm shift in the, uh, in the tech boom. And so we're going to take you, American founder, and to the extent that we can, take you off the American regulatory board and use structures offshore, uh, not allow Americans to participate in token sales, uh, and and you know protect you in that that fashion, which is not from a, a standpoint of of adoption and technological innovation is not the ideal thing to do. But in our view, it's basically the only thing to do uh, because we can't uh, we can't in good conscience say to a, a client, uh, yeah, do a token sale in America, uh, unless you want to tr actually treat that token like. Uh, an actual stock and do an actual S1, which is millions and millions of dollars. And there's been a couple companies that have tried that. Unless you're going to go down that route, there's no there's no viable way for you to do what you're trying to do here in the U.S. So then that necessitates a conversation of, well, fine, uh, we can do all this stuff offshore, but at the end of the day, you are an American citizen. You live in, in America. American law enforcement agencies can knock on your door. So there are still rules that you have to follow. And there is still a certain amount of risk. That there is no way for us to mitigate. Um, I, I, I'm very clear with our clients that like stepping into this Web3 token-based world, there is an inherent risk that you must be comfortable with. It is not like spinning up a C-Corp in Delaware and issuing shares and, and having a, a SaaS product. It, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's interesting how you're saying how uh, the legislators and regulators have uh, no interest. Uh, there's no motivation to update those laws and kind of address these Web3 businesses. Is there any, you, do you see any reason why that is? Uh, it, is there any? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's entrenched, it's entrenched interest and age. I, I don't believe we will see uh, significant change in like, crypto blockchain specific regulation uh, until the current generation, which is what people in their 80s, 70s and 80s, uh, who are lawmakers retiring. Uh, when you see people in their 40s and 50s starting to take power, I think there will be a more strong likelihood of the willingness to embrace these new technologies and 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 ease the brain drain that I just described. Um, but, you know, why would somebody who's in their 70s, who's probably got lobbyists from Goldman and uh, Citigroup 
contributing to their campaign? What, what, what is their incentive to, to, to change these things? There's absolutely none. And then they can hide all behind the consumer protection stuff uh, and the, the anti-terrorism fundraising stuff. Meanwhile, Deutsche Bank is responsible for more uh, terrorism financing and uh, sanctions violations than any institution in modern history. I, I believe it's Deutsche Bank. It might be Credit Suisse. But, you know, billions of dollars in fines for violating serious OFAC considerations. And, yeah, Web3, whose combined market cap is currently, what, a, a $800, million, $800 billion right now? You're the one that we have to worry about? No, that's, that's, that's all smoke and mirrors. Yeah, it's amazing to me. And I've said it, I've written articles and I've said it on this podcast, but that when people blame Bitcoin for drug trafficking, human trafficking, illegal arms sales and these kinds of things, I think, um, have you ever heard of the U.S. dollar? I mean, yes, yeah. U.S. dollar is the absolute preferred uh, money laundering uh, currency of choice. <laughs> and it's not trackable like the blockchain is anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they don't understand that. And uh, they're, they're legacy politicians. They don't have any interest in it, like you say. Um, you know, being as the lawyer you are and, and uh, you know, coming off of 2022, I, I can't help but ask you about these things, FTX, you know, Terra Luna, Celsius, these things, not, not specifically, but at a high level, um, is there anything you can tell our listeners who are crypto investors uh, that they can do to protect themselves against these things? Is there more, uh, you know, DYOR they can do? Or is there more um, kind of in, in investigation that they should be able to do? Or is, is there anything they could do to really protect themselves or are these sorts of things, were they kind of inevitable? Uh, what would you tell our listeners? Well, yeah, so I think there's a couple of different ways that I'd approach that. Like first, like <clears throat> things that are essentially experimental. Terra Luna is a good example. Algorithmic stablecoin never really been uh, solved for. And I, I lost money in, I, I, in, in a Terra Luna investment. Like I, I, I'm, I'm in the space. I, I, my, my investment went to zero, um, but I didn't risk more than I could afford to lose because I know that algorithmic stablecoins are an unproven technology. So when you're investing in any of these things that are unproven technology, and this is not investment advice, nor is it legal advice. I should have started with that at the beginning. Like I am not your lawyer, uh, but uh, the if you're investing in those unproven technologies, you can't invest more than you're uh, able to lose. Um, that's Number one, uh, and then we have we can move to something more like uh, the the FTX scenario, where um, that that is a good old fashioned fraud. Um, when when Bernie Madoff uh, was caught, we didn't hear Congress saying we got to shut off Wall Street. You know, it was it was a human who was fraudulent and stole money, and that is shitty, of course, but. There are many of uh, checks and balances that were in place in the traditional markets that did not catch him for decades. And then arguably, if the housing crisis hadn't hit, he wouldn't have been caught. He would still be doing what he's doing. Uh, so when you when you look at SBF and FTX, that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with human-based fraud. So um, it is not an indictment of the industry. It, it, you could look at it as an indictment of regulatory um, environment in the U.S. because if there was a better regulatory environment, maybe that would have been done in the U.S. and there would have been a bit more checks and balances. But that's a bit speculative. Um, I would say that unless you are an active trader who needs to have active positions, don't leave a lot of 
uh, money on exchanges. Buy what you're going to buy, move it to cold storage, not your keys, not your crypto. The same advice that, that savvy crypto people have been giving since 20, uh, 2009, like, or whenever, Mt. Gox, when 2014, um, when that blew up. So um, the, 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 there are people who do need to have uh, active trading accounts and you cannot rely on cold storage. So in that case, um, um, a company like Kraken that has a, an actual banking charter or a company like Coinbase that has a, is publicly traded. I mean, those both have a bit more oversight, uh, a lot more oversight than something like FTX. Uh, Gemini, uh, setting aside Gemini Earn and the weirdness there, but Gemini has regulated under the Bit license in New York. Also, fairly uh, yeah, solid. I'm not endorsing any of these. I personally use Kraken. I believe in their SBDI uh, designation in Wyoming. Um, but uh, that's, that's just me personally. Um, those exchanges have better oversight. Is it perfect? You know, no. Have we seen a lot of stress tests? Arguably not. Um, but I don't imagine, knock on wood, that any of those three would be going under. When you start to look at other exchanges offshore uh, where there is little to no regulation, then there are concerns. But, you know, if you want to trade perps on Binance, like there is no real equivalent in the US unless you have a CME account. So like I get the 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 issue. I understand the dilemma. I I, I, I may or may not have a finance account. Uh, you know, the, it, there are ways around certain things, but you need to be careful. Um, I think the single best thing that could happen would be realistic derivatives uh, um, policies in the US so that Kraken, Coinbase and Gemini and their sister exchanges could offer perps trading. I mean, that's the there's there were several funds that were wiped out entirely by FTX because their entire portfolio was on FTX because they expressed their bets entirely in derivatives. And you couldn't do that in America. I get it. That's the kind of thing that needs to change. That's the kind of thing that would reduce the likelihood of another FTX. And that's the kind of thing where I don't see regulators being incentivized to change in the near term, unfortunately. So it's a matter of risk management of just how much you leave on, on your exchanges that are not regulated in the U.S. Yeah, definitely. Not, not your keys, not your coins. Um, using cold storage, I can't think of a better argument for cold storage than 2022. Or, or DeFi. I mean, like DeFi, you know, to a certain extent, other than smart contract risk, if you, you have, it, it is in your possession. Like you, you have the keys to those, those uh, trades. Obviously, there's not the same kind of uh, uh, liquidity, uh, and there's only a few derivatives markets that are kind of working. But I mean, I think Uniswap became the biggest exchange in the world for a little bit right after, or second biggest after Binance, right after FTX. I don't know where it's standing now, but like, I would rather use Uniswap all day long than any of the other exchanges that I just mentioned. Um, but that's a, that's a, as an ethos, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh... Seeing seeing Uniswap uh, rise to, uh, in a relatively brief amount of time, it's uh, been a, been definitely a success. And coming off of you know following up on FTX, uh, making them in a in a solid position, I would say within the market. Anything else you want to uh, let our listeners know? Yeah, well, let me take those in turn. Uh, I think if I had one message to your listeners 
same message I give whenever I do a podcast or whenever I uh, do a, uh, an event, you know, find a lawyer. It doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be my firm, but find a lawyer who knows what they're doing in Web3 as like your first order of business. I mean, ideally before you even form the company, but if not, very soon thereafter. And that person will be probably one of the most important people on your team. Um, I can't stress that enough because like I said, it's not, it's not Facebook, it's not Uber, it's not move quick and break something in social media, in transportation, it's finance, the most heavily regulated thing in our country. Uh, so get someone who knows what they're doing in Web3. Um, as far as us, uh, you can find us at the RodmanLawGroup.com, um, at RodmanLaw on Twitter. Um, we have a Telegram group that you can find on our website, the people, you know, a public one, they can reach out to us. Um, a phone number, email, it's all on the website. You know, law firms are a little bit old school, but we do check the Twitter DMs from time to time. Um, and then as far as who we help, I mean, we, we have clients all over the world. Um, we have a, quite a few in, in uh, the Middle East and uh, India, um, Czech Republic, Thailand, uh, Central America, uh, and then all throughout the United States. So we're, we're pretty uh, global in our practice. Um, and, and that's an attractive thing for our clients because we're located in Denver, Colorado. We're not paying rent in Manhattan or in San Francisco. So our rates are uh, very, very attractive to people who are used to paying those financial center uh, legal fees. Yeah, well, that's, that's excellent. Uh, sounds like you're very busy all around the world, uh, but yeah. Much cheaper in Denver. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, David Rodman. Uh, thank you for your insight. And uh, we, will, we would love to have you back on sometime and uh, talk more with you. Thank you for being on. This is Jason Rowlett with BCC N3 Talk. We'll see you token fans next time. that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Follow us on Twitter at bccn3 underscore media and subscribe to our newsletter at bccn3.com. From our website, you can also join in the conversation in our Discord channel and Reddit page. And we will see you here next time on BCCN3 Talk.